I'm never wrong. Ever. Did you do that? Oh, it's recording. Okay, Bruchim Haboyim B'Shem Hashem, Berach Nuchem Yves Hashem. We're hoping and anticipating that it's going to work this week. Thank you. Okay, lovely. We're actually online and we can see everybody. This is amazing. Thank you to Atlanta, Georgia, to Adam. He's got us all connected. We are all connected. What's the name of that company that says that? New York Telephone. Yeah, New York Telephone, that's what it is? Yeah. We are all connected. Okay. Um, Yeah, Pashas Vayetze. Pashas Vayetze and Yud Kislev. Vayetze Yaakov Mibershava Vayelech Chorono. Yaakov went out of Bershava, he went into Choron. Common joke was from here we learn that Yaakov wore a Shtraimel, the big fur hat. Because how else would he leave Bershava and go all the way to Choron without a Shtraimel? Um. No, the Rebbe Shekin the way before. The actual example of Ayetze Yaakov, not the example, the actual lesson, which is, configures directly with our daily life, is the Ayetze Yaakov Be'eshava Be'eshava, the place of Torah, going to Choron Charene Shalolam, the lowest of worlds. Tonight we are also connecting with birthdays, outgoing birthday of my daughter, incoming birthday of Gene. If we get him to listen to this, it'll be a miracle. And of course, the same stands true with a birthday, as Vayetza Yaakov Be'eshava refers to the Neshama coming down the Mata into Charene Afeshel Elam, the lowest of the world to try to accomplish what the Almighty wanted to accomplish. And of course, as we said, this Shabbos is Yud Kislev, the day that the Mittler Rebbe, the second Rebbe of Chabad, was freed from his imprisonment, imprisonment. and Erev Shabbos is Tes Kislev, the yard site of the Mittler Rebbe, which took place minus one day a year of the day he was freed from prison. As they were going to celebrate, they had a preparation, they were preparing the grand celebration for the one-year anniversary of his being freed from prison. He passed away the day prior. (coughs) Generally, we learn a Kalal, and we do this all the time when we finish a Chumash, Nost Chilosan B'Seifan V'Seifan B'Tchilosan. The beginning and the end always have to jive, have to come to com- come into coordinate. They have to go into coordination one with the other. 
And yet, we find a total, total opposite now in this week's Pasha. We find in this week's Pasha the beginning of the Pasha and the end of the Pasha have the total opposites. world of texting. The first Rashi in this week's Parsha tells us a phenomenal, phenomenal story. Something that only science fiction would tell us about. Right in the beginning, the Rashi tells us that Vayetze Yaakov Be'eshava as Yaakov leaves, first of all, we're going to go into Hopefully we'll have time to talk about the leaving of a tzaddik from a place. And then the Rashi goes up, Apostle goes on to tell us that he lied down in the place because as soon as he arrived in his first area, the sun had set. Nary a few minutes, nary a short just distance, and the sun was setting. And the Torah tells us how he put the stones around his head and he had a dream. A dream that there was a ladder from the earth to the heavens and the angels were going up and down. They were ascending and descending. The Ben Chamesh Lemikra, a five-year-old, learning Torah says, What? How could they go up before they come down? They're angels. Angels have to come down from heaven before they go up to heaven. And Rashi immediately explains, Yes, indeed, my dear child, they first went up, and then they came down. How so? Malachim, the angels, shalivuhu, the Oretz, that accompanied him in the Holy Land, as he left from Be'er Shava. And therefore they cannot, because they are angels that belong to Eretz Yisrael, they cannot go to Chutz Oretz. The Olul Rakiah, they went up. And then other angels descended to accompany him further. And yet we look at the end of the Parsha, and the last Psukim say, Vayakiv Holach Ledarkai, Vayivgu Beimalchei Aleikim. Yaakov went on his way, and the angels from God encountered him. Vayemi Yaakiv Kasheroom Machne Lehim Zeh, when I see this Machne Lehim, and Rashi, the last two psukim, says, Who are they? Who came to encounter him? Malachim Malachim from Yisrael came to greet him. Lava say the Oret to accompany him to the Holy Land. And therefore, Machanoyim. Because there were two groups of angels here from Chutzlaretz Yisrael, he called it Machanoyim, two camps. How strange! How strange! The beginning of the parsha, the Rashi tells us 
that the Malachim cannot, of Eretz Yisrael cannot leave Eretz Yisrael. And at the end of the parasha, Rashi tells us, the Malachim left Eretz Yisrael and went to take Yaakov. What happens? But going back for a moment to the beginning of the parasha, the famous story where Yaakov puts the stones around his head and rests to sleep. But when he wakes up in the morning, the Pasik tells us that what happened, he wakes up and it says, after the conversation with God, and he says, is it possible that God is here? I did not know this. And Vayash came Yaakov Vabaykir, he woke up early in the morning. Vayikach Esho'even, Asher Somar Asher And he took the stone, the single stone. And we know, all Mepharshim tell us, that when he put the stones around his head, each one wanted to be the most privileged stone, the one most attached and connected to Yaakov to the holy man, the holy father of Yaakov. And the Almighty made a miracle and He made them, combined them to all, to one stone. Many years ago, many years ago means when I was in 8th grade, I was 12 years old. I was 11 years old actually. I was a whippersnapper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eleven years old. That's that's forty plus years ago. Adam knows how long ago that was. He and I are the same age. <laughs> My teacher told us when we were learning this parsha. He said, "I want to tell you a story." There was once a chair with little holes in it. You know, they have these chairs with the seats have the little holes. To be to give air through it, whatever the reason, like a netting. And a big tzaddik was going to sit down on the chair, and all the holes were complaining. They wanted the tzaddik to sit on them. So the Almighty made a miracle, and He made it all one big hole. Yes, let's not envy that tzaddik. <laughs> Here too, the stones all became one stone to protect Yaakov Avinu. Although we did say we did come up with a very profound question the question of why the beginning of the Pasha does Rashi tell us the Malachim cannot leave Eretz Yisrael and on the end of the Pasha it says they did leave oh this doesn't work you see I can't add you that way no I can't I gotta put you on more I can't add that way. Huh? Yeah, because it's getting also the Skype. Um, and if he's calling you from his phone, he's not going to get in either. Okay, and by the way, for those who are, not, who are listening on Skype... Please bear in mind that if you don't have 5.0 on Skype, it does not come into the... You cannot get the video. 
So if you're calling from a cell phone, you're very unlikely have the 5.0. Although we did we met, we did ask this question, how is it the Malachim in the beginning say they may not leave, and the end they do leave? We will come back to that. Let us begin first. Why, Rashi says, did he do this? He was frightened of animals. And therefore he put this like a wall, like a protection around his head. <coughs> Sorry. Why his head? If he was worried about animals, he was worried about somebody attacking, something attacking him, some creatures attacking him, he should have put it around his whole body. Why only his head? If he had faith, though, that God would protect him, why even his head? There are four different ways of learning something. This pshat, remez, drush, and said. We explain this many times at length. We'll explain this to the way of drush, how to dash in something. The Pasik tells us, a person that works with his hands and from this he eats how great it is and good it is for you. And the Pasuk is of course referring to how a person brings in Parnasa to his family. It has to be a person needs to go to work. You can't just have the Yagiyah Reishcha, that your mind is thinking about work. If you sit at home and say, I think that this guy might want to rent an apartment in this and this area, and I think in this and this area there might be an apartment, this person doesn't get the apartment, the rent, the tenant doesn't get the, the, the landlord doesn't get the tenant, and you don't get the commission. Unless you go out there and tell the tenant, and say, call the tenant, and badger the tenant, and bargain with the landlord, and juggle the things, and juggle what you can, until you finally come up with a good plan, it doesn't happen. It doesn't pan out. Therefore, it must be a gear kapecho. The person to get panasa, Davramelech says, has to be with your hands. <coughs> the head... The head brings down the greater, greater spiritual strengths. The head must be in Torah. The head must be in Aveda, serving God. And when the person's head is in the right place, and the hands are doing what they have to do, then we have the guarantee of success in Ashrecha V'Tayvloch. How good it is, how good it will be for you. Therefore, when Yaakov went to Choron, he was going for business. He was going to work. And he therefore surrounded his head and said, Although I'm leaving Shem Ve'ever, Yeshiva, <coughs> I'm leaving the Yeshiva walls, I'm leaving the Torah walls, I want that my head should be protected and remain pure. 
And therefore we learn that he says later to his wives, With my entire strength I served your father. The Holy Rambam writes in the end of Hilchas Chires, the same way that a, a boss, an owner, must be careful not to steal wages from the poor person, and not to withhold anything. So to the worker should not steal from the, the, the owner. And then cut corners and improvise and do a little here and take a little less here and a little less there. And how does he know this, says the Rambam? Because Yaakov Avinu said, I worked with all my kayach, I worked with all my, my strength. Since Yaakov did not cut corners, this is the lesson, says the Rambam, not just a lesson, but a halacha. How we, a worker must work. This one must work full strength, and we learn the etiquette from Yaakov Avinu. Chassidus explains that Chazal tell us in Pirkei the Almighty is Neman who Baal the Almighty is trustworthy that He will pay for the reward for the person's job, work. The Jewish people are the workers. They are obligated to do work. The Master is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty. Sometimes a person could think that the service of His Master, the service of the Almighty, is only when it comes to shul, when it comes to learning, when it comes to davening. Maybe, maybe when it comes to other things and physical things, eh, this is not serving God. This is what the learning from here. The work of a worker, of Yaakov by Lovon, it was not in a spiritual realm at all, like sitting in Shem Ve'ever, in Yeshiva. It was in Choron, the lowest of the world. And still in all, Yaakov saw to it Yaakov saw to it that he worked properly and with the Almighty God's help. And this is how we have to work in our world, in the low in the world that there is no lower world than this. And we have to bring up that this should become a place that the Almighty's spirituality should be revealed. And this is why and the whole purpose of our existence in this world is to sit and to serve the Almighty. Again, I want to remind anyone that came on to Skype that does not have video, if you don't have 5.0 Skype, then you're not getting video. In the 1700s, an epidemic of smallpox broke out. Rahman al 
try what they could, what they would. Doctors, experts, nobody was able to put a handle on this. And Rahman al-Islam, the fatality rate was getting very severe. Children, Rahman al-Islam, were dying. And they went to the doctors, and the doctors couldn't do this. So they went to the Rabbanim, and the Rabbanim couldn't help. And they went from one to the other, and nothing was working. A public fast, a second fast, a third fast. children were never going like flies. Finally, 30 elders of the city got together and they decided they're going to do they're going to request for Atshuva's column. They're going to ask the Almighty a question before going to sleep and ask that the Almighty sends a response in their dream. And they did their whole preparations. They fasted amount of days. And they went to the Kabbalists and they got all the different Kabbalistic recitations that needed to be said. I said the text. I would add. And finally, and finally, that night, they went to sleep, and they dreamt, and they all had the same answer in the morning. Shleimer the Katsav. The butcher, Shlomo, should lead the services in the shul. <coughs> now, everyone knew in those days that there were hidden tzaddikim as there are today. Today, some of those hidden tzaddikim do such a good job. (laughs) 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 They're very hidden. Um, But it was common practice that all of a sudden to find a katsav, a plumber, a butcher, that should be a a, a tzaddik, tzaddik mister. So when it came about that they saw the name Shlema, the Katsev, they felt that this must be the true thing. This must be what they're looking for. I don't want to say what someone just typed on Skype. Um, the 30 people of the delegation got together and they went to the outskirts of the town to the little hut of Moshe the Katsav Shleim the Katsav and they came to Shleim the Katsav and they told Shleim what the Eivishter wants what Hashem wants that he should lead the services he was flabbergasted. Me lead the services. 
I could barely read. It would be so embarrassing for me. I, I can't ca- possibly do that. I'm not capable, he said. But this is what Hashem answered directly, and therefore they knew that there was no other way to stop this epidemic. And immediately, they went, and they got Shlomo to agree to come with them. He said, even say one pasuk, one bracha, something say in front of the whole shul. And they accompanied Shlomo to the shul, 30 people, the most important people of the city. But as they were about to enter, started entering the shul, Shlema made a quick exit. And by the time they all got into the shul, they noticed that Shlema was nowhere to be found. There was no choice. The entire city was sitting in shul. Everybody was waiting. They figured they are going to have to wait for him to come back. About a half hour later. Why are you doing that? Me? No. But why did you do that? About a half hour later. So you want to hear it in stereo? Shlema shows up carrying his tremendously heavy scale. Barely able to walk. The weight of the scale. In the olden days, the scale was the two-sided scales. And he comes to the Almighty, he comes to the front of the shul, and he says, Rebbeinu Shalaylam, I check my scale twice a day to make sure that things are even, things are exact, and things are perfect. Your children are being neglected. They need to be looked into. They need to be helped. They need to be saved. They need a salvation, a Yeshua. Please, Rebbeinu Shalaylam, as my scale does not tip in the wrong direction, you should not tip the judgment of the Jews wrongly. Yegiyah Kapecha the work of my hands I've put in totally for the service of God. Everybody went home and the plague ceased. Everyone was healed. They say that a very beautiful glass case was built around the scale of Shloima and the scale was left in the shul until the Zechram, the Nazis destroyed the shul. Until the Nazis destroyed that shul, the scale stayed in front of the shul in a glass case. And this was always the lawyer for the Jewish nation. We need to still get back to what the angels were doing in place or out of place. Ron, can you get a cup of sauce? Huh? Yeah, huh? 
But we'd like to first revert to other things in the parsha as well. One being the strangest of the questions in the entire parsha, and probably the strangest question in the entire Torah. Thank you. We know our forefathers kept the entire Torah even before it was given. Receiving it, we explained many times, added to the greatness of Torah by the fact that now it was a given from the Almighty. And because it was given, now it had a bigger value. In the Torah, though, it says, a man may not marry two sisters. If a man cannot marry two sisters, what was Yaakov Avinu thinking? Yaakov Avinu worked for seven years, we know, to marry Rachel, his dear father-in-law, was not a straight fellow at all, and therefore. When it came to the chuppah, instead of putting Rachel, he puts Leah. How did Leah fool him? We know. Rashi tells us as well. Yaakov made up with Rachel certain signs under the chuppah, so he'll know who she is. And Rachel had Rachmanis on her sister Leah, and she gave her all the signs. According to the simplest of Mefarshim, Rachel and Leah did not come from a Jewish household in essence. And therefore, to marry Yaakov, they had to convert. <coughs> a convert has no relatives. And because they had no relatives, therefore they were not related one to another either. Since they both converted, each one as they converted, they disowned their relatives, they disowned their family. So they no longer were sisters. That is a simple... Says this. Say it. I didn't make it up today. No, there are those that say, according to Pshat, that before Matantera, our others were not obligated really to keep all the mitzvahs. I don't know why the call went off. Um, let me put you back on here. Second.
Where is he? Look, you're on here still. Hold on, I'm going to disconnect and I'll put you back. Now I think you're off. Now let's see if I can replace it. No, there's something wrong. I don't know why you're off. I don't know why. Okay, now now I can add him again. Okay, one second. We need, I told you guys we need a techie for this. <laughs> to monitor these ons and offs and ins and outs. Okay, so in essence... Ouch. Okay. So in essence, all they had to keep really were the seven mitzvahs, the Noahide laws. Even if one of the mitzvahs of the Noahide laws would ultimately transgress the Tera, this, according to Din, they had to keep. The seven Noachite laws, Sheva Mitzvahs Mibbeneinach. They accepted upon themselves a plus, a chumra, a stringency to keep the rest of the Torah. But Me'ikir Adin, the main Din, they were not Chayiv. And more than that, all the dinim and the restrictions that they accepted upon themselves, or the Bnei Neach accepted upon themselves, they were obligated according to Torah, according to Din. As we know that Yaakov gets punished for not keeping the mitzvah of Kibbut even though it's not from the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Neach. He did not honor his father and mother properly. If that's the case, also the obligations of the Shev Mitzvah since they were Chayev Bedin, these were even stricter than the Mitzvahs of the Torah that they accepted upon themselves. Although we know that before, prior, before Mount Torah, they accepted upon themselves, they also, in the Torah it says, one may not fool another person. You may not deceive another Jew. And the proof is we find Lavan comes to Yaakov and says, Why did you, Lamarimi Sunni, why did you deceive me? He had a complaint that Yaakov deceived him. No, if he had a complaint that Yaakov deceived him, what basis can he say that? Because he knew that it's us according to someone who's keeping the entire Torah. So according to this we could say that Yaakov had promised, had guaranteed Rachel to marry her. And therefore he'd be over on the Easter of fooling somebody. Which he has accepted upon himself because before Matan Taylor, this was even stricter 
more than the Yisuriya Teira. And therefore, in order to refrain from deceiving a Jew, from deceiving somebody, he was even able, not able, but he transgressed readily what the Tater says, because not to supersede the Easter of Ramiya of fooling another person. He tells a story of a Chosid who never had lived in a place where the Tsar was a tough, tough cookie. The Poritz, the landlord. And he was not tough only on this Jew particular, he was tough on everybody in his whole province. So much so that the poverty level had hit rock bottom by everybody. But this particular Jew had a child, an older girl, who had to get married, and there was no money for a dowry or anything else. So he went and traveled to Lezhensk. Yeah, I see you. He traveled to Lezhensk and he went to the Holy Elimelech Lezhensk. And he was all sheepish and embarrassed. How do I ask such a menial thing from the Rebbe? Money. But the situation was not good. And he was not asking only for himself, he was asking for his entire province, for everybody to help them out. And so, he cried his heart out, and the Melech Lejens told him that the Almighty will not forsake you. Now the Melech Lejens reached into his drawer and took out three coins. Each one was worth ten kopecks. A total wallowing, wallowing cup, total of 30 kopecks. A wedding was not less than a thousand kopecks. To feed all the people and all the poverty that had to be pulled out was thousands of kopecks. And the Rebbe put down 30 kopecks on the table and said, Gay, my kind, go with this and you will be fine. And he took the 30 kopecks and he put it in his pocket and he was a little sheepishly withdrawn but didn't say so to the Rebbe of course but didn't know how he was going to handle this. What would he tell the people when he comes back with all 30 kopecks? Who is he helping with this? And his own daughter? The wedding? What will happen? Well, I must tell you, my friends, we asked no questions on it ever. Before he got to the outskirts of Lezhensk, one of the Hasidim came running from the Rebbe's house, chasing him, and screaming and yelling, that's me? How are you doing that? You recording it? No. It's an app? Yeah, it's an app. Uh-huh. Screaming and yelling, he said, Come back, come back, come back, wait a second. 
Give me back one of the coins. The Rebbe said, you only need two, you don't need three. Now the Chassid was totally, say the least, blown out of the water. Three, three cup, 30 cupics weren't going anything anywhere. Now you're telling me, 20 cupics? This is what the Rebbe wants, this is what the Rebbe wants. And he continues his journey. And suddenly he comes to an area where a bunch of hooligans are sitting. Now you have to understand, my children, that in the olden days the peasants were beyond peasantry. A peasant understood a boar, an animal, a horse maybe. They couldn't deal even with the sheep. It was too refined. They could read nothing. No language was able to read or write. So when he came upon this group of hooligans, he was quite frightened. They started to laugh and they said to him, they knew he was a Jew, come here. You want to buy a nice wallet? This is a wallet, let me see it. And he took this wallet, it was a beautiful, beautiful piece. Beautiful leather with gold trimming, with gold. It was beautiful. And they looked at him and they said, you know what? 30 cupcakes will sell you the wallet. 30 cupcakes. <laughs> the Rebbe took back 10, he only has 20. Meantime, he opens the wallet, and there's a wad of bills inside. But they weren't local currency, they were a European currency, worth much, much, much more. In cupics wise there must have been 150, 200,000 cupics. But they didn't know it, these peasants. They only knew that they looked funny and they had pictures. And they saw, so they, they saw him looking inside, they said, you want the pictures also? For three cupcakes you can have the pictures. I want some fresca. And they don't have any fresca on the table here. Adam. <laughs> Adam, send I got seltzer. I see, thank you, tease me. All the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Give it to the cat, okay? <laughs> By the way, we'd like to thank, I think we did it already before, Adam, not only for tonight's video group on Skype, but also for the entire year, Mir Tashem was in the schus of Adam and his family and the cat. Um, <laughs> they said, you know what, you keep it with the pictures. She so said, I'll tell you what, I don't have 30 cupcakes, I have 20. They said, you know what, for 20 we're not giving you the wallet. You could take the pictures for 20 and give us back the wallet. And he said, fine. And he took the pictures, which was now hundreds of thousands of ruble here, of copics. <laughs> he took it and he booked it. And left them with a beautiful, beautiful wallet. His concern though was, whose money was it? Whose wallet did he just take? Or what of money did he take? 
In the interim, he arrived home with his big riches. And he got, he bailed out everybody, made his weddings. And he was now a wealthy man. He wanted to go back to the Rebbe to thank him. But he did not know what to say. Because the money was maybe his, maybe not his. The violet was spent. But as he arrived in Lezhensk, and he was standing in the town, a young fellow approaches him. Familiar, but not knowing from where. He says, Jid, Jid. He says, yeah. He says, you remember me? He says, no. I vaguely remember, I don't know why. So remember the wallet, the purse that we tried to sell you? You took only the pictures. He says, yeah, 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 I took only the pictures. Well, let's tell you what happened. When you left us, the pirates showed up. But before he came, as soon as you left, we were laughing about the wallet and how we got 20 copics for these stupid pictures that are worth nothing. And as we were laughing, we were sitting around the fire, someone dropped the wallet and it burnt in the fire. And the only thing that was left was the metal pieces, the gold pieces. At that point, the pirates showed up and the pirates said, Where's my wallet? And he told them what the wallet looked like. And they explained to him that it just fell into the fire. And he saw that all that was left of his wallet was the metal, the gold frame. So he immediately thought that the money was inside and got burnt as well. So he did not pursue the issue. But the guy said to him, Had you taken the wallet, the pirates would have come chasing you. Because he would have wanted his wallet back. But since you left the wallet, and he saw it burnt, he thought the, what was inside got burnt also. And therefore he didn't, he didn't know where you are, and doesn't know any better about his money. <coughs> so the Melech of the Zhensk saw to it to take back the ten kopiks, so he would not have enough money for the wallet as well. This we therefore see how we may not fool somebody. We have to see to it that everything is done honestly and straight. How did the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael leave Eretz Yisrael? <coughs> if we see clearly in the beginning that they're not allowed to. In the middle of a shir, you have to call back after 10, please. In the middle of a shir, you have to call back after 10, please. No idea who that is. Went to the gym. Didn't come back yet because he went very late. So to say another thing before we go back to the malachim, a very very interesting thought. What happened to Yitzchak 
when we say that in the beginning of the Pasha that Yaakov leaves and how sad it is because when a tzaddik leaves a city the sun leaves and the light leaves the shine leaves everything leaves but a stronger question that we have so the question that we ask on that why did how could it possibly happen if Yitzchak and Rivka were still in the city and we say Yitzchak was blind and therefore he was counted as if he was dead and Rivka was only working on him question becomes when it says later in the Pasha Hashem when the Almighty appears to Yaakov in the dream and he says, I am the f- God of your father, or grandfather Avram, and your father Yitzchak, technically he's only speaking about people that are dead. So Avram was dead, but Yitzchak wasn't. But Yitzchak was blind. Rashi says, the fiche kohu enov ukolo babayis Because his eyes were weakened, and he was homebound, he was considered dead. And there was no Yetzirah. Which is also the explanation we can't go into at the moment as to what was lacking in the city when Yaakov leaves it. The Medrash Tanchuma says different. The Medrash Tanchuma says about, Ra- Yaakov, about Yitzchak Avinu, V'nestaisem Be'enav. He was blinded. But Rashi does not say he was blinded. Rashi says his eyes became weak. And doesn't go to the severity of blind. Why is Rashi telling this to the Mechamesh Lamikra? The Mechamesh Lamikra has a very, very big problem. It says in the Pasuk, Vayhi kizok in Yitzchak vatikahena enov mirois. His eyes were smitten from seeing. It does not say he was blind. So the Mechamesh the Mikra's question is very, very simple. Yitzchak Avinu was not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because he was a Eila Tamima. He was brought up as a sacrifice and he was a complete sacrifice and being a complete sacrifice he was not allowed to leave the Holy Land. A blind animal is a mum. By an animal, if the animal is blind it's a mum, it's an imperfection. So how could Yitzchok have not been a Eilat Tmimah all his life. Never mind the time that he was brought up by the Akedah. For all his life, and since he was never ever allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael, he had to always keep the status of Eilat Tmimah. But a blind person would be considered with an imperfection. Therefore Rashi says he was not blind, his eyes were weakened. Vatikaheno. His eyes were only a little weakened, and therefore he did not see well, so he was homebound. But he was not Chasashon blind, making him an imperfection. Going back to our Malachim, 
we can say that the beginning of the parasha is talking about Yaakov leaving Eretz Yisrael, going to Chutz Laretz. To such a mission, for a tzaddik to leave the Holy Land, Malachim did not have permission to leave. But when he returned to Eretz Yisrael, the Malachim had permission to go to retrieve him, to greet him, and to bring him back into Eretz Yisrael. And for that reason, they went out. The Rambam writes, though, that a person may not leave Eretz Yisrael to Chutz Laaretz forever, anytime, except to learn Torah, to marry a wife, or to be saved from Goyim, from non-Jews. And we have to try to figure out what the Rambam is talking about. The Gemara in Mesechtas Kiddushin tells us, and it's brought down from the Me'iri, that one may leave Eretz Yisrael also to go greet his parents. But the Rambam omits that. According to all that we said before though, it all works now. To go out to learn Teda and Chutz Laaretz, this is a way that a person can go out. But this gives you a hetter, this gives you a permissivity. It makes it permissible to leave. To go greet your parents, to bring them into Israel. This is something that you're enhancing the Holy Land by bringing more people, bringing your parents in. And therefore this is not halacha. The Rambam gives you halachas telling you what you're allowed and not allowed to do. By telling you you're not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael unless you're going to do something. Or telling you you're allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael to learn Torah. That is halacha. But to tell you to bring in your parents, it's not in your halacha here any longer. This is only to enhance the Holy Land. When Yaakov went to Choron, to work in the house of Lavan, he went to elevate and to purify everything that was going on outside of Eretz Yisrael. To bring the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael into Chutz Laaretz. As we know the Tzemach Tzedek said, that when someone wanted to travel to Eretz Yisrael, he said, Mach do Eretz Yisrael, make Eretz Yisrael here. This is the entire Tachlis of being in Chutz Laaretz, That we see to elevate it and bring the Chutz Laaretz to a level of Eretz Yisrael. Therefore we can have, say now, the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael went out to greet Yaakov and bring him back into Eretz Yisrael, and they were allowed to go out to Chutz Laaretz now. Because the, their whole Indian now is a giving of a Koyach and Siat Dishmaya on the Aveda in Zman HaGolos. And therefore the Malachi of Eretz Yisrael went out to greet and to welcome him into Eretz Yisrael, being that he now completed his entire service of elevation of Chutz Laaretz. He made Eretz Yisrael in Chutz Laaretz. 
This is the outcome of the Aveda that we're speaking about. The bringing down of Kedusha's head to sell it to And therefore the Malachim were able to go out to greet him. In essence, what the Tater said in the beginning that they're not allowed to leave Eretz was they were not allowed to leave for other, anything else they were not allowed to. To bring back in a tzaddik that caused everything that had to happen in Chutzlaret, for this they were allowed to. After the Alter Rebbe passed away, his son, the Mittler Rebbe, took over the mantle. The Alter Rebbe fought very, very hard against Napoleon, as we know, to make sure that Napoleon does not conquer Russia. And he organized a relief effort and sent it to his oldest son, the Mittler Rebbe, who was at the time in Kremenchuk. Because people were in poverty and everything else to help out everybody. The Mittler Rebbe succeeded the Rebbe with a few thousand rubles to help the base Harav relocate to go back to a new place now. Because since the Mittler Rebbe, as we said, was in Kamenchuk, the Mittler Rebbe could not go back to Liadi, obviously. So all that remained was him to return to Lubavitch. The Mittler Rebbe himself decided that the money should be divided amongst the family. There was a noted chassid, Pinchas Reitzis, who was very instrumental in raising the funds. And his brother-in-law, Zalman Reitzis, their mother's name was Rosa, by the way. And because their mother gave them a fortune of money to become chassidim of the Alter Rebbe, therefore they got the name Reitzis, Reitzis, Reitzis children, because they became chassidim. The Pinchas unfortunately had no children. After he passed away, 11 years later, a non-Hasidic nephew, a nephew of his who was a major misnagid, inherited everything, including the letter from the Friedrich Mittler Rebbe to the Pinchas Reitzes, telling him how to divide up the monies. Who's actually calling you? Okay, something's wrong here. I'm not sure how this happened. We ended up on the, on my phone and on my I don't know what's going on here. Okay, whoever's on my phone is going off the phone. Okay, um, the nephew was not a very nice individual and decided to extort money from Mitlerebe. And he joined up with another fellow and his name was uh, Simcha Litman who also was not a very fond of Chassidim and they joined forces and they took this letter that said I'm sending you three, four thousand ruble and he added a kuf which is a hundred so it should look like it was a hundred and three or a hundred and four thousand ruble saying that the money was very, very large money, and they immediately said they trumped up charges against the Mittler Rebbe. 
against the Mitla Rebbe saying how, how much money the Mitla Rebbe had raised in essence and saying that it was against, it was a counter-revolutionary money that he, that he had raised. And the Mitla Rebbe was helping the enemy because he was sending to Etzisrael. Etzisrael then was under Turkey. They also claimed that the, the Mitla Rebbe Shul was the same size they mentions as the Beis Hamikdash, and by saying they were the same size as the Beis Hamikdash, they would be able to. Um, they were saying that he he is therefore trying to um, actually build another Beis Hamikdash, a new temple, and therefore take over the Russian government. <laughs> He's tangoing, making me shake it. This guy's not working. No, it's not good for you. Ultimately, the Mitlareva, the court cases that took place, and the fighting, and the back and the forth, because of the time restraint, we won't be able to go into. As we said before, though, it was on Yud Kislev that the Mitlareva ultimately was freed and because exonerated and sent home. It was a Shabbos, though. It was Teskisev, actually. A Yud Kislev was when the Mitzrayim actually left prison. And as we said before, a year later they tried to get him, tried to make a party, but he passed away the day before on Teskisev. Um, in the schus of the Yem Aboyer, in the schus, stop it, in the schus of Yem Aboyer of Yud Kislev, just like the Mitra Rebbe was released and exonerated, so too with the weight, with the weights, the scales of even scales of each of the Jewish nation, we should also be judged that way in a proper way that the Almighty should see all our merits and we should be sent to Yerushalayim Yerakedish this very Shabbos, and we should join together and we should all say we had a Geula Amitus Ashlemus Shabbat. Shalom to all. Anybody wants to call back and call back after.